0: It is Monday, May 10th. The day after Mother's Day? May 10th. Do you know where your mother is? And this is LA Podcast. I'm Scott Frazier here with Hayes Davenport and Alyssa Walker. How are both of you this fine afternoon, morning? Today is Mother's
1: Day as we record this. Uh huh. Do we have any uh, mother themed LA story? My, I'm making um, gourmet subsy. Uh, which is a Persian dish that my mother in law likes, getting to spend the evening with both my mother in law and my mother. Wow. Wow. But it's very involved. So I I do in half an hour, I have to bail for one second just to turn the oven <laughs> off. So we, you, you will keep going. I'll just, yeah, run and we'll, turn, we'll turn this. Yeah. The Carry vaccination
2: on. pleasures of mixing mm-hmm. households again. That's great.
1: Mm hmm. Alyssa, you had a you had a Mother's Day.
2: I had a Mother's Day. We celebrated on Saturday. We went um, out for breakfast, which was I think I figured out the first time we've taken our kids to a restaurant in over a year. <laughs> like a, we've been a few little places like in our neighborhood and stuff, but they were it was a big moment. And I have a mother's Mother's Day related story because when we were walking back through downtown to go uh, take the train home, we walked in front of City Hall and there was an anti-masker who yelled at me. Oh. And my children...
0: About what?
2: The, um, I think what she said was the fresh air is good for you mass or child abuse. And it didn't even register that no. it was an anti-masker or like an anti-masker protest because there were just always people, I think, like walking around City Hall. And then I kind mm-hmm. of turned and I looked back and there were like signs and some freedom type flags <laughs> that you uh, wave around yeah. when you when you keep your face Free, and I
1: first of all, the fresh air is not good for you. <laughs> <Here>. <laughs> <laughs> So just starting with that, I, yeah. that's a misconception. We did hit, on. Uh, we're starting to get into unhealthy air season yeah. again. Uh, we uh, we broke 100. I should have yesterday. said, that
2: would have been a good um, comeback. I was thinking about, you probably saw this story and it was um, Sam Breslow who's been covering all these anti masker protests. They've mm-hmm. been in outside schools now. So he had taken a video where these, uh, these high schoolers kind of um, really re- rebutted them and it was quite funny. But then there was also this doc who had this very like, um, civil conversation with one of them. And, um, Erica Smith wrote about it in the LA times, but I I was thinking about that and being like, how can you be nice when somebody does this and you've got your little kids next to you? I I had no grace in that moment. Like I could not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I could not have engaged in that way. I was so, so mad, but also not wanting to get too mad um you know because i don't want my kids to think that you should yell at people who try to talk to you right. when you're walking down the street but oh man i was seething it was it was so unexpected i just didn't expect some, something like that to happen and it was um right in front of city hall
0: <laughs> our wow uh my my question is do your kids remember like the concept of A restaurant, or was it like (laughs) was it like something new for them?
2: Um, they do. um, Yeah, we've gone to a few places that like where you sit on like the sidewalk, like um, like in our neighborhood. There's a few places that have like moved, they have little patios. But seriously, like only like two or three times. This is a sit down meal where like somebody comes and like takes your order. Is very revolutionary to them. So I would say they didn't remember like about the sitting still part and waiting for your food because we're so used to you Mm -hmm. order at the window and go sit down at like a picnic table or something. So that part they probably had completely erased from their memory and that will be difficult to uh, reintroduce to them.
0: My, uh, I guess my LA story is now we are Circling back around to to stories that we had at the beginning of the pandemic, I had been thinking that uh, my partner Sarah and I were going to move to to Fairfax. That ended up not happening. Uh, we actually found a new place, though. Um, in <laughs> it seemed it was very touch and go there, but uh, we we found a place that we're going to be able to move into before uh, before we have a baby in the fall. So um, we're moving, staying within Silver Lake. Alyssa was very concerned that our Silver Lake Triangle would be no more, <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm I'm positive that our listeners were equally as concerned. Yes. So uh, you just kind of flipped it, you inverted, yeah. It you changed of, right? just the
2: shape of the triangle, uh-huh. yeah.
0: The I'm moving, angles are the same. Yeah. I'm moving from one furthest corner of Silver Lake to the other furthest corner of Silver Lake. This time uh, on the Echo Park side, so. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Now it's a little bit less stressful to be moving than it was last time that we were looking into this, which was May 2020, um, would have been, I think, considerably more difficult and anxiety inducing. So hopefully everything goes uh, smoothly. Some Sooner or later, I, I will have an occasion to talk about my previous moving experience, but I do feel like we have already experienced the worst conceivable move when we were, uh, when we were renovicted from our place in East Hollywood mm-hmm. and had to move during a, uh, a an ongoing cockroach infestation oh. of our, our unit. God. But this time those things <laughs> will not <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful that neither of those things will be a factor this time, so hopefully it'll go a little bit more smoothly That's exciting what's your snapshot
1: it's so exciting what like what's the what does the rental landscape look like to you, even like now versus May when you were looking the same
0: um, you know what's interesting um, that in in May of last year when we were looking there was a perception that people had that the that it was a renter's market or that um, you know landlords were extra motivated to get people in because there were so many difficulties with um, convincing people to come out and see places. Uh, there were so many people who had lost employment, etc. I did not find that to be the case. Um, it seemed in fact like what landlords were very happy to do was just sit. On on unrented, you. Know, I mean, I don't know how happy they were to do it, but they certainly were not uh, lowering rents on masse, mm. Did not see mm. that, and that and that was something um, that people were. Uh, I, I know talking about happening elsewhere in Los Angeles. It was not something that I noticed, and then now this time, uh, I think you know in, in uh, May of this year, I think everyone acknowledges and agrees that it is very much. Um, a landlord's market right now uh and yeah th- so there there never really was in my opinion which of course is not uh n- you know neither universal nor objective but based on what i saw there never was really a point at which renters or um or the l- low to mid income market really saw much benefit from hmm. this catastrophic economic uh, the, the fallout from this this pandemic. So, mm. so that is where we're at now, and of course, going forward, you know, we've had a federal judge say the the federal eviction moratorium is n- not legally enforceable. We've had. Uh, I think, more and more pressure on local government to end mm-hmm. the emergency declaration in the city of Los Angeles. So we're... I assumed, just to clarify for people listening, I assumed
1: that the uh, the federal ruling didn't apply to California, which had a pre-existing moratorium, right? It would just,
0: like, remove yeah, that it's layer of for, protection. Yeah, for places I that didn't true. have it, Yeah, yeah. I, I do believe that that's true. Although I don't know, I mean, the thing was it was so confusingly worded at the time. It kind of seemed like it would have to, like to to figure out. Uh, it seemed like there was potentially uh, a, a, an avenue where that would actually go to trial and sort of be ruled upon by a judge. But now maybe that mm-hmm. doesn't happen because uh, because it doesn't exist anyway. But yeah, I don't know. I think I, I'm. I, I am very concerned about where we go from here in the in the housing market uh i'll tell you who is not concerned about it uh-oh at least the
1: american housing market is <laughs> the mayor of los
0: angeles <laughs> the credit that you are giving this man to even suggest that he is potentially more worried about the indian housing market is that's right do they that give a, you that's when you're your, an
1: ambassador? Do you like get like your? Is there an
0: ambassador's mansion? I'm sure, yes, right? I like think a that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. that uh, yeah. credibility is your Mother's Day gift to Amy Wakeland. <laughs> <laughs> As the, Alyssa texted us, thank you,
1: India. Thank you, Terror. Thank you, disillusionment. <laughs> I
2: cannot get that song out of my head. <laughs> <too
1: fruity. laughs> it's so good. It's it's a it's a bop. <laughs> Scott had never heard of it because he's too, too young, too young than is allowed on this show. <laughs> we heard this week. I, I'm so angry. Someone mentioned this rumor to me last week that Garcetti was being considered to be ambassador to India. And I did not take it seriously at all. It sounded so stupid. You
2: didn't even tell us. You did not even. Nope. Did
1: not even text it along. You didn't even. I'm mortified. Mortified. Uh, But this was reported by Axios, by Politico. We saw it kind of coming out of both um, California and D.C. uh, political reporters. uh, And we are seeing the exact same thing that we saw last time which is the mayor is not jumping out to deny that sure. he's interested which th- that's what he does when the process is completely over not when the rumors first emerge <laughs> you also had jen Psaki, uh on uh, in a press conference for biden saying that like she you know couldn't confirm or deny they're still looking at their ambassadors and and everything um Garcetti has always, I think you were saying this, Scott. Like foreign policy has always been, like what he's kind of wanted to do. Mm. Um, and we're seeing a lot of other signs that uh, Garcetti may be moving on. Certainly, his kind of internal team is transitioning. Rich Llewellyn, the city administrative officer, uh, is a is a Garcetti appointee uh, a Garcetti ally he is retiring this summer uh, Jeff Millman on Garcetti's team has already left City Hall uh, and Matt Zabo uh, who is uh, also a, uh, a big t- he works in Garcetti's office and is, is one of his top people is replacing Rich Llewellyn as city administrative officer so moves are being made uh, and at the same time, we have moves happening where City Council President Nuri Martinez, who I had heard previously was not interested in the in the job of mayor, is making pretty clear that she is totally interested.
2: The next day is, after this news broke, yeah,
1: yes, uh, there was a report that she was considering it. Then she went on uh, inside the issues with friend of the show Alice Cohen and said so that she's not afraid of the challenge of being mayor uh what's what's happening uh what, like what what is this moment right now that we're in what's happening and what's going to happen
0: i mean well i i just feel like the the what we saw happen this week Really kicks off in a big way the the start of the 2022 election cycle, and we've seen movements uh, moves being made previously. Of course, we know that we already have uh, some very large fundraising numbers in some of these races. But if you look at at, if you look at this race, or sorry, if you look at this past week and the news that's come out, you know, Mike Bonin kicked off his reelection campaign on Twitter. Um, of course, Krikorian, Paul Krikorian of the 2nd District had a big uh, press conference. Mitch Farrell made a big announcement about Echo Park Lake that we'll talk about as well. This feels like uh, the week in which our election cycle really started in earnest. And, and of course, to that, you add... The confusion or uncertainty about uh, Mayor Garcetti's future, the remainder of his term, the the next year and a half, um, and the new announcement from Nuri Martinez that, um, well, I, I had so in contrast to what Hayes said, I had heard that she was definitely considering um, this bid, and now now that is more, uh, I guess, easing closer to being an official announcement now. Um, but what? what I think is when you, if you remove Eric Garcetti from the picture, if he is nominated and, uh, confirmed as the ambassador to India, then you end up with a situation. I'm not sure if there's a, a a recent parallel for it where the mayor seat is vacant. It's uh, occupied at least for the time being by, um, for, by Nuri Martinez as head of the city council, and Joe Buscaino is the president pro tem of the city council, so he steps in as acting city council president, and potentially they're both running for the same job against one another. That is, um, I mean that that's an interesting that's an interesting landscape, and you don't really get the at least uh outwardly you don't really get the sense that Martinez and Buscaino are less than chummy I mean at least as far as I can tell what do you guys think
1: I I mean we we talked about this before in terms of parallels there isn't really one in LA because Garcetti would be the first mayor in a hundred years to not finish out his term Mm -hmm. uh but you know we've talked about what happened in San Francisco. When Mayor Ed Lee died uh, and London Breed was the president or whatever of the board of supervisors is their version of a city council up there. And she became mayor, acting mayor, and then announced that she was running for mayor. Yep. So they uh, th- the the board of supervisors who were mad, especially the, like, the people that uh, did not want her to be mayor, uh, swapped her out. For this guy, Mark Farrell, who promised that he would not run for mayor. Yeah. Uh, and then London Breed won anyway. But the, the the city council still does have to sign off on, uh, especially if they're mayor for a longish period of time, like who is acting
0: mayor? Uh, no, I think so Nuri becomes acting mayor automatically. The automatically, city, ca- city yes. council is supposed to either appoint somebody. Right. Uh, they won 't hold a special election um, because they they don't need to based on how much time is left in garcetti 's term uh, so I think clearly they uh wouldn't opt to do that but if you have a if you do have a situation where an appointment is being made this is this is different than than previous situations where we 've had gaps on city council um mm-hmm. you know due to criminal dealings uh by various members of that body. Uh, this is a case where multiple high-ranking members of city council have expressed some interest in the job. Could they still uh, could they still pick an impartial person to finish out Garcetti's term? They could. I, I don't think that that would be either of their first choice. I think they would much prefer to be appointed into the position. Mm. So then it's just a matter of can you get the votes required to do that. And so then it it just becomes a battle. Really?
1: The only way you might is that others who might be considering running for mayor on the city council might put up enough of a fight to say like, this is ridiculous. Like let's like, you can't be campaigning this entire time and be a new mayor in this like moment of urgency. That's what I wonder, like someone like Paul Krikorian, I think might be positioning himself to be like the in-between choice like someone who is not going to run for it, and you know maybe he does end up running. Who knows at this point? Like, but that ambition is emerging everywhere. Uh, and as for Garcetti, I like your theory too, Scott. You feel like this has been in in the works for this a while. seems
0: like do, doesn't this just seem to you so like such a Garcetti thing yeah. to ask for? I I mean we we were talking about this in our our thread, and I just feel like Garcetti has been so desperate to get out of L.A for so long it he is absolutely doing the when god closes a door Mm -hmm. he opens a window and i I think that he's been planning this for ages sitting in his uh kitchen with amy and um you know whoever replaced rick jacobs in his inner circle and trying to workshop kitchen
1: table opens up from the center. it's just this map of the world with like little, (laughs) it's
2: like,
0: where's the
2: farthest away? Where
0: am I? I Where am I still welcome? Um, where, where will Richie, uh, not follow me uh, as I'm eating dinner. Um, and (laughs) this is, uh, this seems like it's, uh something that he would ask for because it is uh, a diplomatic position because i think uh Garcetti sees sees this as a way to maybe boost his credentials maybe to rehab his reputation a bit while still being in politics at a high level like uh you know th- this is um this is the relationship with the world's largest democracy It's a very um, it it is a very plum assignment as far as ambassadorships go uh, and would clearly, in my opinion, position him for, let's say, a secretary of state role in uh, in a future administration. These are definitely the things that Garcetti would and does think about. Uh, That being said, I mean, what does Eric Garcetti's diplomacy look like? He was, you know, when uh, Mohammed bin Salman was uh, doing his charm offensive, the the Saudi crown prince, like uh, Garcetti was first in line to be bowled over by that. And that was, you know, followed up by a lot of very bad things. India has had a... uh, a concerning trend of Hindu nationalism in in recent years. Garcetti is somebody who thinks that, you know, everything can be resolved with a Coke and a smile. And maybe that's not the, maybe that's not the high level diplomacy that we really need. Um, That said, I, I do think that this is part of a larger Garcetti strategy.
1: I think he would have preferred... A cabinet pos I mean like I, I I do think this was a job this is a job that really appeals to him, but it's also a compromise given I think back when the cabinet was being picked, I think ultimately it was not tenable in like January, at the peak of COVID for him to announce that he was leaving. I just think that was like mm, a mm-hmm. tremendously bad look that yeah. just would never ever have gone over. And now I can just hear it in my head. Like back when I was first talking to the administration about a responsibility, this city needed me. We've we're, we now find ourselves on the other side of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We've uh, we like we're we've guided through this, and now I I feel like my work is better served in places around the world that mm-hmm. are really in a desperate situation mm-hmm. right now. So like uh, you know,
0: he's being called off to an emergency somewhere else. That I'm still. I'm still so skeptical. I just, you know, you get a cabinet appointment. Um, if you get if you get a cabinet appointment, then you're you're taking it. Especially somebody like Garcetti. I do, I don't really see him as as being the like the one to set aside uh self-promotion, if self-promotion well, is no, I, well, on, I on offer. I don't think he did set that aside necessarily, but
1: I think it was a combination of that and the Rick Jacobs stuff that was heating up then as well. So yeah, I, I don't
0: think I don't I, I think that there was there was no path for I, and I think that it, it's the has it blown over enough now that Garcetti can get through a nomination process. Notably, Yashar Ali said uh, on Twitter that he had more reporting about Garcetti as this news was breaking. So mm-hmm. stay tuned. Should we move on to budget stuff?
1: There was I can't believe it's been uh, about a year since the last one, not quite a a year at this point, but the People's Budget LA Coalition uh, put together their presentation on their new uh, People's Budget Survey and their research and what they want to see come out of the budget. They invited a number of council members to be there uh, this time. Who, Who was there and how was this different from last year's presentation?
2: Yeah, it was really interesting because remember last year, even though the pandemic was raging, I mean, we had a much stricter
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, stay at home orders at the time. They did come to the council chambers um, and hold the hearing in with a, a, I think you, how many people were you allowed to have? We were just talking about this, that before it it's it counts as like the council. So it's like five or six or something like that. You can't have the...
1: It's six or seven, but there's also weird stuff related to, like, committee right, majority. Right. So you, I don't think you could have a majority of the budget committee because that, then it constitutes a meeting right. of the city council, which means there has to be different protocols with public comment right. and stuff so like that. So there were some so people that, that watched
2: limited. via Zoom and some people who were physically there last year. But this year, they just did it yeah. only on Zoom, but the same rules apply that you were talking about. I just thought that, I just thought that was interesting that they – Mm-hmm. And now that we know the council is like still not quite ready to go back to their council chambers yet, we still have to wait even longer for them to have mm-hmm. a real meeting. So I I mean, I want them to be safe, but it's it's just kind of funny that we're not meeting in person for some of these things yet. But um, yeah, it was really interesting to see who showed up and who asked a lot of questions and, um, it was, again, like a. we talked about this presentation last year, just how emotional and how passionate and how like really um, well presented these ideas are. It, it And I think all the council members are always like, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. It was just the same thing that they said last year.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this was the last presentation. I forget. Was that that was after? the $150 million cut was announced to the police budget? I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. This year, you know, like, what's what's going on with the amount of police funding? You've seen, like, sort of some, like, uh, debate over what the numbers, like, you know, the city uh, and the mayor's office says that it's effectively a decrease or staying the same when it's really, like, kind of been brought back to what it was to pre-cut levels. But what the um the city also emphasizes is LAPD spending used to be 53 percent of the discretionary budget, uh, and now in this budget that's down to 46, uh, which is meaningful. I mean like you know like reducing the slice of the pie, uh, is is not nothing, and they're spending some uh, money on 19 million on uh programs uh, that. Uh, nonviolent uh, response programs replacing police with unarmed first responders. And I think Mike Bond's district and Nithya Raman's district are getting uh, mobile, like emergency, uh, like kind of outreach and like mental health engagement uh, teams and things like that. Uh, People's budget wants the, the city council to go farther uh i wonder what the flex points are for for the mayor for city council i don't um i didn't see a ton of in uh like each um council member can submit a letter to uh to the budget committee for what they want to see from this budget i didn't see a ton of calls to defund certainly uh, uh council member Raman's office Uh, asked for more funding for like even more funding for unarmed alternatives. Uh, But I I mean, I think there may be some change between this version and the final version. I'm not I'm just not sure exactly what that will look like, especially with as we've talked about, this money goes to salaries, police salaries. That's the vast, vast majority of it. And much all all of that is locked in. Mm hmm. Uh like that that's been negotiated and that those have been like signed effectively um for this coming year. And
2: for and in Libby Denkman's reporting for LAist, um she noted something that I, I thought was kind of also the refrain from the council members, which is like you're saying things that we don't have any control over, like something like mental health funding comes from the county or school money is determined by the state in ways. So there there is a lot of pushback on like, well, we can't just we can't just give you this money because we don't have control over it which is you know comes up a lot too
1: sure but they're finding way you know they're 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 piloting yes. these unarmed yes. response units and that's healthcare yeah, you know right. like that does like acknowledge that they that there's a role that they can play to 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 do this kind of work they don't have, just have to wait for the
0: county to come up with these programs they can do some things absolutely um themselves i do feel like there's i mean there's a it it, as we're watching the aftermath to last year's black lives matter protests play out i feel like there's so much pressure now uh and it is being promulgated by people in positions of power there's so much pressure building against um, you know, I, I think we we saw this when uh, when the Echo Park raids were happening, and Councilmember Mitch O'Farrell said that it was a conflation of issues to talk about uh, to talk about the role of mm-hmm. police in evicting unhoused people from the lake um, at the same time as talking about the violence perpetrated by police against. Black and brown Angelenos, and that has, I think, grown as a, a as a reaction to the the police protests that we saw last year. And uh, and one thing that I will say is that Black Lives Matter did a really good job during twenty twenty in casting this as a uh, a central societal issue the the issue of policing being one that sits at uh, in the center of a lot of different ongoing social conflicts and uh, as a, um, a block in terms of, um, you know, the, whether, whether the question is whether we can uh, raise money, increase budgets or not, that it's a block in terms of existing funding going to police instead of to social services. So now... Uh, what reactionaries in city hall like Mitch O'Farrell, are doing is they are using their power to try and separate those conversations back out again, because mm-hmm. I think they realize that it's, um, it's really bad for them. If people start looking at, uh, at policing as this unifying issue that has effects on so many different people living in different conditions in, in, Uh, in the city. So I think that that's really what I see when, when, um, you know, when council president Martinez or whoever else is talking about, um, it's not our role to do this. It's this, this, that, or the other is, is not something that is within the scope of what, um, what we can or should be doing. It's all intended, in my opinion, to limit, um, uh, to serve as a limiter on what the ambition of, uh, activist action or changes to city budgeting should look like.
1: Yeah. And as we've talked about, there is something kind of sitting right there at city council, uh, which would, I mean, on the path to defunding is like removing police from as many situations as possible. Uh, and they're one of the biggest parts of their portfolio is these pretextual, uh, traffic stops where they just drive around and they get you for expired tags or for a broken taillight or whatever. And then they like, like they check your license and like, or or they're trying to get whatever guns or, um, just like excuses to round people up. They bill a huge, huge amount of overtime uh, for it. It's like an incredibly expensive part of our city budget is police involvement in traffic enforcement. And Mike Bonin and Marquise Harris Dawson's, uh, motion is right there. They're already gone through the report back phase, I think. And like it's there's an opportunity to advance this and also around homelessness. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what these alternative response teams are really about is removing armed LAPD response from homelessness, which just makes up so, so, so much of their daily activities. That's what they get called in for um by housed people it's you know they spend a lot of time just like driving by encampments just like going in like you know uh checking to see if there's anything going on in encampments that like that's it it is a real opera you you pull those two things out of their portfolio and you can just shrink the size of the force dramatically their piece of the budget dramatically um and so like no matter what happens in this budget, I hope the work of getting police out of traffic enforcement and homelessness, I think, is a, a very big first step. And we would really be the first city to do it. Um, except maybe New, New Orleans, I think, for traffic enforcement. Um, that could be could be transformative for LA. I have to turn off the stove. You guys wanted to talk about uh pee, is that right? You had some. I can't conversations believe you're ducking A-pee out you for this part of the
2: conversation. I'll be right back. Well, I guess speaking of taking enforcement out of homeless services. Um, We finally have some news that Echo Park Lake will be reopening supposedly by the end of May. This is the first time we've had any type of timetable for the closures. Um, And apparently they've been very, very busy in inside the secret fence, um, sounds like uh you know i i have visions of like dredging the entire lake and uh going through all the bushes and finding things because they have found so much stuff that i can't possibly imagine where it would have been hidden in the in the park
0: so uh that, yeah, so the news this week reported by L.A. Times, various other outlets, uh, Ben Oreske, his friend of the show at the Times, says that L.A. Sanitation has put out a re- report to this effect, recovered 35 tons of trash from Echo Park Lake, uh, and that the park is scheduled to reopen in um, uh, at the end of the month. So this is part of an ongoing um <laughs> I don't know. It's, a, it's an ongoing propaganda campaign about the lake. Uh, Mitchell Farrell and his staff have been going to every meeting conceivable saying what a big success this is, how, um, you know, uh, how much safer the housed residents are and how much safer the unhoused residents are. I don't I mean, so th- this is something that we repeatedly talk about on here uh, that. Living on the streets is a dangerous situation. You will repeatedly hear about people dying of fentanyl overdoses, people being attacked, people being raped, robbed, etc. We know this, and this is why. Uh, this is why un, uh, advocates for the unhoused and people who are unhoused themselves are so frequently telling the city that it's inhumane for them to do things like artificially reduce the capacity of Project Roomkey uh, rooms, which they did systematically over the course of a year while lying about being able to fund expansions of it. Um, that So I, I think that it's really clear to me that uh, there, there's not really an argument that living on the street is not a safe condition for people to be in that being said Mitchell Farrell the you know what the the utility of this narrative in in terms of pure propaganda value for Mitchell Farrell's office is that they actually have no fucking clue where the people who were at Echo Park Lake are now they just don't know and I don't think that they really give a shit frankly um but you know we we know on a personal level that many of the people who were at the lake, uh, even those who were temporarily in project room key, uh, many of them have not remained there. Some have, um, you know, but I don't think that there is or ever will be a, uh, a comprehensive attempt to actually figure out where all of those people ended up, whether they're safe. Um, because that wasn't really the intention of this action. Yeah. Go ahead. Hayes. Uh, yeah, that.
1: they don't I I'm catching up, but yeah, they don't want to count the numbers of people like what the actual outcomes for people that were living at the lake and mm. like wh- how many are on track to actual permanent housing. Now, how many are in getting health care, mental health care, drug treatment, things that like that, they're, if, whether their situation has improved since they left the lake, what they want to count is pee and yeah. poop. Yeah. And needles and cockroaches and crime. We also had a report at the exact same time saying that, uh, did you talk about this already? Yeah. That, crime is, uh, that crime is down around Echo yeah. Park Lake. And, you know, it's a trap, I think, in a couple ways, because it, it finagles advocates into this position where the instinctive response is to say, there's no way there was that much pee. Sure, there was maybe like a few pounds Uh of pee, but like there wasn't that much. Or even saying like there's no like there wasn't that much crime there around Echo Park Lake. When the Uh reality is, it's any amount of pee that people are just forced to like store that they're keeping in bottles or whatever uh, because they don't want to get arrested for peeing outside and because there's no toilet around. Like it's bad for people living there to have to like use like to not have basic sanitation, correct? And the and same goes for crime. Like there, I'm sure there was yep. a decrease in crime because crime is disproportionately inflicted on people who are homeless right, right. there was a huge there a ton of assaults on people who were homeless including from people who were were housed people who were unhoused
0: whatever yeah and i, I mean it's just it's but it, it's um yeah i agree it is a trap because what it is is a narrative circumvention where you have uh you have mitchell farrell you have joe Busca. you know who has um uh, made it a habit of showing up in other people's districts to do photo opportunities at mm-hmm. homeless encampments. Uh, the, the, the The utility, like I was saying, of this is that it allows you to get around the narrative. Uh, what actually happened is that you have powerful people within city government who are allying themselves with NIMBY groups in order to keep this status quo, which is, again deadly and uh and very dangerous for people living out there going and and they are using the uh they are using this trap in order to make it seem as though they are against the status quo and they are having to line up against advocates for the homeless who would like the status quo to be perpetuated indefinitely which is um which is absurd but it they're doing it because it works Be, they're doing it because very frequently they are in uh, they are in rooms with people who will believe this and they're doing it because uh, there is a um, y- you know there, there's a gap there is a gap in the development of successful narratives to push back on what they are actually doing at the city uh, not that that's anyone's fault' we're, we're talking about Professional politicians who mm-hmm. whose entire future career depends on this versus a coalition of primarily vol- volunteer civilians and unhoused people all of whom are uh, at a considerable disadvantage when it comes to responding to a, a what is in my opinion a coordinated effort from city hall to do exactly what they're doing
2: but it, but this is like what I mean, when I saw the opening of the tiny home village in the valley, too, and that was um, Krikorian who was gave the same type of speech, which was like, oh, before mm-hmm. we moved these tiny homes in here, we found 17 barrels of needles and this many mm-hmm. pounds of trash and someone was dead at the camp, which wasn't exactly true. It was somebody that was under an overpass, like not at the actual camp and not related to the camp, but it, it is this like very repetitive propaganda that is going to keep repeating and gets picked up by, you know, television news crews who really spin it out of proportion. And um, it you're, I mean, you're right. It's like, it's, it's dangerous to talk about it, but it's also, we can't, we have to like really hold them to account because like, I want to see the, the evidence of what they're talking about. Like, I want to see the pee. I want to like sh- them to show me like what is going That's on really here funny. because I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the 500. 500- Five hundred sixty four thousand <laughs>
0: gallons of urine. Oh um, no. I mean I want that's the twenty twenty one song. <laughs>
2: to see it because i i don't really be, how, why would we believe that Alyssa
0: you know? see the pp okay but <laughs> th- so here's the thing is uh, i didn't even really cl- yeah yeah everybody's um everybody was saying 564 pounds of, of urine it's weird it's weird it's a very specific number also it's not in gallons we measure liquids in gallons um i will just say like sanitation is not going to Here's what, here's the thing. If you are measuring urine in gallons, that implies that you are transferring it from whatever receptacle it is in into a place where you can measure the number of gallons. They're not doing that. They're frankly not doing it. They they don't even want to pick up the trash. They don't even want to do that. Why Why would they handle the urine in such a way that they could measure it in gallons? What they're doing is they're taking a big pile, a literal big pile of shit, uh, And putting it onto a scale when it arrives at a landfill, I assume. But that being said, what what really was striking to me was that they said that there were 35 tons of trash, which is not only a specific number, it's an enormous number. So much. after they had After they, they uh,
2: put the personal belongings into storage. So that's not mm-hmm. even like there were couches maybe that were maybe a personal They threw out the couches
0: for sure throughout every piece of room. I don't know, but like, all sure all like everything a that they had. <laughs>
2: That number, yeah. yeah. Go
0: ahead. Everything that they accounted for in the LA sanitation report weighs less than a single ton. So the question, I, I mean, I, I at least, if I had been invited to this press conference, which I would not have been, I suppose, for obvious reasons, I would have been asking uh, why, what, what, what is the other thirty five tons? That is a ton. Uh, oh, thirty five tons. I've, now I've done now it. You've uh, done. <laughs> <laughs> That's a ton of uh, a ton. of trash. I, they're gonna uh, bring it. They're gonna back up the trucks. <laughs> <It's got, laughs> <that's laughs> new apartment. <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> the the. Out there. But but I I think that it's what what Hayes is saying. What Hayes has has been saying is in a sense true. I I I mean, and and I also agree with you, Alyssa. Like we, we do have to talk about it. I do, but I think we have to be intelligent about the way that we engage with it, knowing that these are are in all likelihood, just blatant falsehoods doesn't change the effectiveness, uh, in terms of doing what, you know, we have, we have to really be cognizant of what is Mitchell Farrell trying to accomplish here. He's trying to get reelected. People feel like, um, uh, so I will say back in 2020, um, Mitchell Farrell took a lot of bad votes on things related to the COVID, uh, pandemic and he was, um, he was trying to lie very unsuccessfully there. And at that point in time, I was saying, okay, this guy has no future. Currently, he is probably the most popular politician in the city of Los Angeles. And I think that people need to recognize that and not not be, uh, you know, that's, that is a difficult fact, I think, for people to swallow, especially because... Uh, His district is so progressive and he's such a reactionary goblin, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that doesn't really like, you know, throughout the city of Los Angeles, this idea is spreading. You can do this. You can treat people this way. Not only can you do it, you can do it and say that you are being compassionate by doing it. Uh, and that's all people. That's all I think a large number of Angelinos want is to be mm-hmm. told by somebody that they are compassionate while they are sending in a small army to evict unhoused people. Yes. No, you don't have to care what happens right. next. You don't even have to. You don't even have to give another thought to it because we're going to tell you that you did the right thing. And everybody who's pushing for uh, for humane solutions to homelessness is um, is just an obstructionist. And they don't actually care they're just uh they're just in it for a buck I, I mean none of these people are making any money. none of these people are making any fucking money off of uh off of this work really um but it's just it's taking hold you know that that I think is a mentality that is spreading. We saw it in uh the Los Feliz Ledger this week when um you know allison cohen the 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 publisher, editor writer editorial uh, editor, spell check thyself. Um, Alison <laughs> Cohen wrote an extremely long, long article in which she said Nithya Raman, council member of the fourth district should be recalled because she has not done what Mitch O'Farrell did at Echo Park Lake. That was the exact. That, that, that she hasn't done it specifically. And this is what I think is so interesting that she hasn't done it at an
1: encampment on Burendo street which I've spent a huge amount of time at through SELA, helping people get moved into shelter from there, mm-hmm. helping uh, people's uh, stuff get cleaned up. That encampment, Scott and I were there late this week, is, I mean, virtually vanished. There's, there's like a couple more uh, tents there. There used to be probably 30 and a ton of trash and like a like a huge amount of activity there, and yes, there was crime there, for sure, but the, it is going away in a way that has led to not a single person being forcibly removed. there a huge number of people have gotten moved into various forms of shelter through active, active mm-hmm. outreach that has been happening there for months l a p d has not been involved at any step of Good. the way. So this alternative version, even as it's happening, is being seen as a failure and a yeah. problem yeah. for the people that, that care less about the results and more about this system being in right. place of being able to call 911 yep. on a homeless encampment and yep. have every single person there be arrested
0: for as long as possible. And to, and to the point that you were making earlier, Hayes, about, um, about how to actually, practically speaking, start uh, defunding and removing the LAPD from the roles that they play throughout the city. This is, uh, this is the front line of that struggle right now because it is a problem for LAPD and they they are acting like it's a problem, making it a problem because like, like you said, uh, LAPD has not been, uh, not been involved in this process at all. And, um, that is something that they are not okay with. They are going to turn this into, and they are already doing it at homeowners associations, at you know every conceivable event that they have uh, the ability to interface with the public. I just want to like throw back to our interview with Marquise Harris-Dawson that we did uh, mm-hmm. a year ago mm-hmm. where he told us specifically anytime he crosses the police, then they will go out to every meeting in his district and they'll tell him, oh, yeah, well, the the response times in your district are slower because your council member voted to give us less money, even though that was for a budget year that hadn't started yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they are doing this. They're doing this already. They are extremely political actors, and they are saying, um, you don't feel safe, that's because your council member hasn't allowed us to come in and break up this encampment and arrest everybody the way that Mitch O'Farrell did. Mm-hmm. You would feel safe if we were here arresting Mm -hmm. people. But because you have this council member uh, who you need to vote out of office, that uh, that will never be the case here. Regardless of what you see on the street, you are not safe. You're not safe unless LAPD is there arresting people that make you feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. They're doing this Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is so this is this is the battle because LAPD has a vested interest in making sure that unarmed responses to homelessness fail and they will do or say or uh, pay whatever amount of money to ensure that it fails that that is not an issue that is what they uh that is what they're there for but the instinctive
1: response because it's it's predicated the LAPD is saying like this is dangerous so we have to be involved in this and there's it's there's health hazards and safety hazards and all this stuff and again like the way we lose is to say like no, it is actually safe. No, it is actually healthy. The needles are a perfect example, They're like 17 barrels of needles yeah. or whatever. Like, very easy to say, like, oh, there weren't that many needles or, or, or whatever it is. I mean, the reality is fentanyl addiction is a huge, yeah. huge problem in homelessness. It is driving. When we say four or five people die every day on the streets, that is driven by overdoses. Mm-hmm. And in, in Meth and fentanyl in particular. And so... That it, rather than saying the number of needles at in the is any way acceptable, the response could be, Hey, okay. Yeah. That happens because there are no sharps containers, no disposals yeah, no uh, put up yeah. by, by the city ever. There are no, barely any treatment options right. available. And the ones that are available suck are yeah. often just like basically torture for people to, to go through for like, you know, to like detox. And so, I just feel like the solution has, the response has to be, yes, of course, this is a huge problem. We're like, we're very upset about homelessness and what is happening to people on the street, but there's a way to do this that actually works and does not like throw people into situations where their recovery is going to be sidetracked or where it's going to be more difficult Mm -hmm. for them to get into long-term housing where they're going to be traumatized in a way that is affecting their mental health status, like even more like we have to do this in a way that works and is compassionate and humanizes people and will actually be more successful
0: as a result and they don't want that because they're not involved in it people need to be i mean and and yeah like uh, not only do they not w- want it they will like i said they will attack any aspect of this program that they are not involved with including the provision of like hand washing stations yeah. and uh, Porta potties, yeah, which they're saying encourages people to live on the street, and that is now becoming yes. part of the reactionary narrative. These are things that, and then when the when the toilets aren't available, they say, "Look at all this shit oh, this everywhere." Poop uh-huh.
2: we had to pick up.
0: These people should be in jail. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, so it's yes. it's just it it takes us back to a place where we were before, where Los Angeles, again, with like the least. I think probably easily the least number of, of public restroom facilities uh, to unhoused individuals anywhere in I would have Un- to imagine unsheltered for sure. Yeah, I would pro- probably in the entire hemisphere. Uh, th- this is a case where. Um, the the United Nations came in here and they said, this is a humanitarian disaster because you are not providing any facilities that people can actually use. The LAPD is now advocating for us to go back to that. And homeowners are attaching to that and mm-hmm. saying, yes, it is the homeless advocates who forced us to put these, uh, these restrooms yes. out here. And now, look, there are unhoused people. So I, I think people need to be, more afraid than they are. I, I think that people need to be like, uh, people who are advocating for, um, for any sort of progress to be made in this city. And we have been, I think, not unduly rose rosy after the results of 2020, where we had a very positive election cycle here in Los Angeles. That is just one cycle. If we actually want to build anything off of that, people need to be very afraid because I think that these 2022 elections, I mean, we've been talking about backlash and all of this, but actually watching the reaction play out in real time uh, is is frightening. And I think Mm -hmm. that there needs to be an understanding that we will need different strategies to reach people this time around than were successful in reaching people last time around. That is, I think, in my mind um incontrovertible there's there's no chance that we do the same political messaging that we did in 2020 and have anywhere near the success mm-hmm. we will get washed it will be mm-hmm. uh it will be very very bad for everybody living in Los yep. Angeles so um there the good news is there's time, you know, we, we do have time still to, to do that. But the, um, but I think the reality check is that we don't have, um, we do not have the enough time that we can spend any of it denying what exactly is militating in, uh, you know, the shadowy confines of the homeowners associations of this city right now. And that the organizing has to happen in neighborhoods. It's not online.
1: The homeowners yeah. associations are doing it in, in, in neighborhoods, even like next door right. is a very, very powerful organizing force. Um and yeah, and like it it has worked for like big elections online stuff in the past, but in terms of like dealing with uh specific encampments, like dealing with homelessness, it just has to happen on a neighborhood basis. And in podcasts, of course. Uh let's move on to something a little sunnier. Diesel death zone. <laughs> It's <laughs> great.
0: Alyssa, tell us all about oh, this. Oh man,
2: this is, I know it's funny if you like, depending on who you ask, you either live in a diesel dust zone or you live in like America's shopping basket or something like that. They like <laughs> they had the Amazon like branding is so insane, like the way that they try to spin this. But um this was a huge, huge deal at the um South Coast Air. I, you know what, say it,
1: say it. it. Skakomoda. Yeah. It.
2: I, like, is that really? No, people don't do that.
1: South
0: Coast Air Quality But Management nobody
2: says District the acronym that. like that. It's just, uh, I, know, I know the letters, God, I hope but not. I
1: don't
0: know. <laughs> not. Can you imagine if that Air caught Quality on? Air Quality
2: Management Dis. yeah. Um, it's like SCAG. Then again, Skag I mean, gone,
0: if... gone wrong. If somebody says Skakomoda in a Skakomoda <laughs> meeting and no one is around to hear it, does it even make a sound?
2: I'm just going to start it. We just do it. Um, a big vote this week... Um, this has been something that if you talk to anybody working in environmental justice uh, in the Inland Empire, um, they've been working on this for seven years. So this is the portion of this is just mind, mind blowing. And there was a, a great story about um, at LAist about how some students in the schools out there um, like in Redding, I think, and and some other places had done these prog- these, these projects where they use the data um, that's provided by this really incredible study um, by, uh, sorry, the People's Collective for Environmental Justice. And this is just mind blowing. um. Amazon is the largest employer in the Inland Empire. The company has tripled its footprint in the region over the last year. So imagine like all those new distribution centers, they built a new airport, they have like, you know, all these warehouses Um, and to service them all, you have diesel trucks still for the most part. They've made a big deal about they're switching to like electric vehicles for some of their delivery stuff. But the the logistics and all that a p- portion of it is still done like the old fashioned, horrible way. And the other thing that's really crazy about um you know, the people who are working at these places out in Inland Empire, like their households have the lowest number of Amazon deliveries being made to them. So it's literally for these wealthy pandemic purchases that we have, um, wealthy household pandemic purchases that we have basically subjected this entire region to the worst air quality in the Uh world in the in the country. You know, it's like it's just it's just really devastating. So they are passing um the warehouse indirect source rule, which uh, is really just saying that they have to take substantive measures to clean up their distribution centers, um, or else they have to pay these pretty hefty fines. Um, And of course, some people were fighting it, even like the mayors of some of these cities were like, this is going to hurt our economy. But there was some incredible testimony, including um, Sheila Sheila Kuhl, who really has gone to bat for this, um, for these communities. And it was really heartening to see something like this get passed.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the... So when when you call it America's shopping cart or whatever, you do sort of lose the fact that we're talking about companies, Amazon chiefly among them, that have been implicated for years in really poor treatment of workers. Um, uh, Talk about 564 pounds of urine. I mean, Mm -hmm. these guys have no bathroom breaks, uh, no union representation. This is, um, these are known conditions and they're very bad. And Amazon actually very recently became the primary deliverer of all of its own shipments. So, when uh When you refer to indirect sources of pollution, we know that there are a lot of trips that are being generated by these distribution centers that otherwise might have gone through existing uh on existing trips on existing trucks. It is just generating more traffic, and it's very very important that we do start to focus on uh, the impact that that is having on on these communities so it's it's a big victory because the goods movement lobby in Southern California is extremely powerful. And to, if you want any evidence of that, they have been uh, also instrumental in pushing Metro to expand the I-710 for, uh, I mean, they've been working on this for the last seven, or sorry, not seven, uh, last Let's say two decades. I mm-hmm. want to say so. The I seven ten, of course, being the the freeway that runs from the ports up north to the San Gabriel Valley, uh, where most of the um, imports coming into uh, the state of California and a substantial portion of them in the in the Western Hemisphere by extension are making their way, generally speaking, by semi-trucks up to intermodal distribution facilities in Vernon and other uh, industrial areas like that. Now, Metro is, I think, kind of back to square one on a project that would have seen them expanding the number of lanes in each direction on the 710. Uh, for about twenty miles, I, I wanna mm-hmm. say. This is a project that I think we talked about in the past, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe. Uh, but Metro and Caltrans basically are in favor of doing something that they're calling a clean truck program. And Sounds that like that America's was going to be hand one of
2: shopping basket to me.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a very <laughs> bad euphemism, honestly. Um Uh, So the clean truck program was going to be something like an early action uh, expenditure for Metro as they were trying to do this huge, very expensive highway widening that they definitely should not do. Uh, And they were saying that by funding this clean truck program, they were going to offset any of the emissions that would come from um, the additional additional traffic on board or the additional traffic on the freeway. And actually, that it would reduce it. So this was going to be an air cleaning project to widen a freeway. Only, Amazing. you know, we don't get to say it that often. Only in L.A., baby, we <laughs> 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 we are truly the masters of uh, convincing uh, ourselves, and by extension, or so we think, everybody else that you can in some in some way make a freeway wider more traffic clogged and have it be good for the environment and so the news this week is that the environmental protection agency the federal one uh actually is stepping in and saying that that is uh not super believable and so metro has to go back and do a full study of the the air impacts of this project which is which is good it actually gives uh inge- environmental justice Coalitions in the in the South Bay or in the South East Gateway Cities region, the opportunity to potentially get this project killed for good, the way that it should be.
1: Uh, This is so anecdotal, but just like one of those um, COVID like time lapses where like you really notice the difference between. The way things were pre-COVID and the way they are now, we had uh, my wife and I were driving to Yosemite, not on the 710, but like in that area, like the most striking difference about that drive, which we hadn't done for a couple of years, was just the number of Amazon trucks oh, yeah. specifically on the road. Yep. You just like at, at no time is one not It's so true. in front yeah. of you, behind you, next you, passing you. One last transportation thing. Uh, There is an effort to – if you live in Eagle Rock or work in Eagle Rock or in the surrounding area, particularly in Council District 14 – uh, Kevin De Leon's district. Uh, there is an effort from the beautiful Boulevard uh, plan and the Eagle, Eagle Rock Forward organization to expand bus rapid transit in the area. And Councilmember De Leon seems like he is having second thoughts. So Eagle, we will talk about this more in future episodes, but EagleRockForward.org is where you can go to contact the council member uh, to encourage this plan to move forward. It is supported by a huge coalition of public officials including uh county supervisor hilda solis laura freeman the state assembly member uh joe linton at street street blog said uh from occidental to oinkster <laughs> everyone is supportive <laughs> of bus rapid trip you don't like that that's Scott? The, oh you are yeah, you're just
2: the eagle rock the, that covers all the eagle rock bases for sure yeah it's it was it's such a great story of how um the the advocates really worked with metro metro came in with kind of a not so great plan, and the advocates made it a lot better and also listened to everyone in the community and really took that mm-hmm. to heart and so for the council member to all of a sudden kind of waffle he said he's gonna come up with something better um better that's plan. Don't worry. erasing the hard work that the advocates did and also just you know not not really part of his um uh, You know, his safe streets and and climate agenda that he said he came in in with.
1: Great first draft. We're so excited about this first draft. (laughs) He
2: wants a more beautiful, beautiful.
1: (laughs) That is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to LA Podcast. Thank you for subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com/slash LA Podcast. Thank you, Brian Holmes, for producing the show. We'll be back next week. Bye bye.